We pray that as you listen to this message, you will not only be challenged, but changed. Our desire here at Heartsease Family Life Church is to see people grow and develop in their walk with God, for all to enter into His best for their lives. For more information in regards to the church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We pray that you will be blessed. I told, I told Pastor Philip, are you sure you guys can stand it again? Um, <laughs> but I can tell you this. I am, I am thankful for your pastor and his wife. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's right. Do it up. Do it up. That's right. And tonight, I want to speak to you from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8, and I want, I want to talk about a biblical perspective in an unbiblical world. A biblical perspective in an unbiblical world. I'm living in an unbiblical world, but you know what? I serve a God who's in control. I serve a God who's in control. A biblical perspective in an unbiblical world. What, what's the word perspective mean? The word perspective means outlook, viewpoint, a person's way of looking at things. You know, sometimes we don't look at things correctly. And when I read my newspaper, I can tell you, I see the American, I I see America throwing Israel under the bus. And that, I don't know about you, but that disturbs me greatly. But I can tell you that God will defend Israel. I can tell you that Jesus is coming back soon. And in such a world as which, in which we live, I need a biblical viewpoint. Because my newspaper, my news on television, gives me a different perspective. They give me a perspective that's not based upon the book. They give me a perspective that's based upon man's viewpoint, man's perspective, man's outlook. And tonight I want to proclaim Jerry Hunt has a biblical viewpoint in an unbiblical world and God is in charge. And in the end of the book, Jesus is the winner and that's the way it stands. That's my perspective. I, 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 was, uh, I think it was about the year 2001. I jumped out of an airplane at 15,000 feet. I had never done that before. It was a great experience. I'll never do it again, but it was a great experience. <laughs> never again will I do that, but it was fun. I can see why people are addicted to that. I, I, I had to have an instructor attached to my back. He had the parachute. I had none. They gave me a little bit of a training on how to land and how to jump. And so I went up in this plane, 15,000 feet, just about three miles. I went up, and I can tell you it was an awesome experience. I was attached to the man behind me, and I jumped out of this plane. As some say, a perfectly good plane. I jumped out of it, and, and as I was falling, we had, we had this great thing going. He said, we're going to fall, free fall, for one minute. I thought, well, that's not too long. Boy, you know how long a minute can be? 
when you're looking out at 15,000 feet and, 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 and we're falling, free fall, at 120 miles an hour, we free fell for one minute. That's a long way. I'm, 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 I'm just having the time of my life. You know, my face is going like that. You know, it was great. And a guy jumped out of the plane with us who videoed me going all the way down. I've got the video. I should, should have brought it. I should have brought it. Anyway, uh, and so he videotaped me coming down. We landed. Boy, it was an awesome experience. I'll tell you, I'll never forget it. I'll never do it again, but I'll never forget it. And you know, when I, when I got down to the bottom of the ground, how many of the Lord speaks to you through these, these experiences? And, <laughs> He sure spoke to me. He spoke to me a couple of things. One thing he spoke to me was this. Jerry, you don't have a parachute. (laughs) You cannot save yourself. Did you know that you can't save yourself? There's only one who can save you. You don't have a chute, but Jesus does. And you must be connected to him because if you're not connected, you're toast. I learned that in that experience. It was very easy for me to see those similarities. I also learned something else. When I was free-falling at 120 miles an hour, I didn't feel like I was falling. And I'm telling you the truth. My son Jordan, he jumped before I did. He had the same feeling. We didn't feel like we were falling. We were just out there just having a great time. We put our arms out like this, and we were just, woo! It was great. And I didn't feel like I was going down. But here I was, dropping at 120 miles an hour and didn't feel it. And the Lord spoke to me that way too. He said, yeah, Jerry, a lot of people don't feel it. He said, they don't feel like they're falling. Do you know you can be dropping at a rate of 120 miles a spiritual second and not even know it, not even feel it? Now, I asked the Lord... (laughs) I said, how did, how, why is that I didn't feel anything? And, and, and you know, it, it, it made sense to me. At, at 15,000 feet, we jumped out of this plane, and there was nothing around me. Not one thing to give me perspective. There were no buildings. Can you imagine if I jumped out of a plane uh, in, in downtown Manhattan, and I'm falling between buildings? How many know that I would have perspective? Wouldn't I, ha- I would have perspective. All the buildings are, I'd be seeing myself going, 35, 34, 33, 32, 31, 30, 29, 28. How many know what I'm talking about? Ever been in an elevator and it just drops and goes real fast? And when you get to the end, you go, and your stomach goes up like you, you can tell, friends, when there's a building around you, you feel like you're falling. If I was around the perspective of a building, I would have felt like I was falling. But because I had nothing around me to compare it to, I was not having the feeling of falling. And you know why some people, even Christians, don't feel like they're falling spiritually? It's because they're not surrounding themselves with men and women who have divine perspective. Is that true or not? Is it true? It's very true. You take a look at where you get your perspective from. You know, I have mom and dad who are serving God. They're godly parents. And I want to tell you, my dad gave me perspective. He gave me perspective when I didn't want it. And you know, my grandpa gave me perspective. He gave me a correct outlook. In fact, being around my grandpa, I would feel convicted just being around him. What do you think it'd be like if Jesus were here? What if Jesus said to you, okay, I'm going to be physically with you for one week, everywhere you go. 
I'd be going, well, I don't think I'll leave the house. <laughs> Would you not get the feeling? Would you not have a feeling of some sort that you were not measuring up? I can tell you this. It would, we would check the way we talk. We would check the way we walk. How many know Jesus being with us is a perspective? It's like a tall building. Do you know there are some tall people? There are some godly men and women that stand tall spiritually. And I can tell you, friends, if you hang around them, you'll get some godly divine perspective in your life. And you might have a sense of falling. And that's why some people don't hang around. Godly men and women. They know better. I would have to tell you that we need a godly perspective in an ungodly world. I get that godly perspective from church. Thank God for a church where you can receive a godly standard from the pulpit that lets you know. You know why some people go to some churches? Because they never preach against sin. And so they never feel like there's anything wrong. Oh, I'm a great time. <laughs> it's just great. All right. And they, and they never preach the truth about sin. And you never feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's always just a joy, joy thing. It's just a feely, feely, feely good. And you never know that you're falling. God, give us preachers that will help us to see through the word of God that we are falling. We need perspective. Amen? Amen. And that's what I learned from that experience. And I also get perspective, not just from my family, not just from the church, but you gain perspective right from this book right here. And this book is where I must get my perspective from. That's why some people don't read it. You can see why people don't hang around with some people. It's easy to, to walk around with people who are low buildings. You hang around some tall buildings and you'll start having a sense that things might not be what they ought to be. You start reading this book and all of a sudden you'll start sensing things in your life. The Bible says this is like a mirror. When you look into it, you begin to see who you really are. That's why some people only pick certain verses that they like. Everyone knows that? I'm in trouble. Oh, no, I'm in trouble. Oh, God, where's that verse? It gives me deliverance in a hurry. Speed. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know there might... <laughs> you doing okay? There might be a verse. There might be a verse that God wants to show you to straighten up your life. There might be something God wants to teach you and show you that gives you perspective from the Word of God. You know, we're living in unbiblical, uncertain times. But we are living in biblical times. We are living in a time where the Word of God says men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Where there will be haters. There will be despisers. They will, they will have itching ears. They're going to surround themselves with preachers that tickle the little old ear with whatever they think they want to hear. We're living in that time. I would have to say to you, I need a divine perspective in this uncertain time that I live in. I found it in this book. Would you permit me just to share with you a new perspective in my life on the things that I'm hearing in the newspaper? The way I see, you know, the oil spill. You know, everybody's wondering about that. How many things can we talk about tonight that are in the news? And, and how many people are, are really nervous about it? How many people are like, oh my. Look at the government. And they say, oh, look, look at the way they're acting. Look at the way these people are doing it. I'm, I'm shocked. Are you really? The Bible says in the last days, this is going to happen. 
You need to remember. I need to remember. Go to the book to get your perspective. Don't go to the newspaper. Go to the book. And when you see these things about to happen, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And I have found in this passage a biblical viewpoint regarding all the things that I've ever gone through in my entire life. So I guess I'll just preach to myself tonight. And you can listen in to what I say to me. Because I first have to preach to me anyway, don't I? Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans eight twenty nine, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, Hallelujah. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Everybody see that? And whom he called, them he also what? And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Here's the verse, here's the verse, here's the verse, verse 31. What shall we then say to these things? Now my question is, what things? How many know we got something to say about these things? You know what's wrong with the church sometimes? We don't know what to say. And the reason we don't know what to say in, a, in, 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 in all these trying circumstances, we don't know what to say to these things because we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are in Christ. And, and, and the point today is this. I get a biblical perspective from the word of Almighty God. And here's what it says. It says, what then shall we say to these things? What things? It's not the things happening in a newspaper. What things is he talking about? Well, it's the things of verse 29 and 30. See that? What's 29 say? For whom he did foreknow, he predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. What do you say to that? Did you know he's conforming you to the image of his son? Hallelujah. Do you know that he's conforming you to the image of his son? Do you know that? He's conforming you to the image of his son. What do I say to that? Okay, now go to verse 30. I know I get excited about this stuff, but this, this Bible is unbelievable. In verse 30, he says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called. Those whom he called, those whom he called, he justified. Those he justified, woohoo! one day he's going to glorify. What do you say to that? What do you say to these things? But it's not just verse 29 and verse 30. It's also verse 28. How many know this verse by memory? And we know that all things work together for good to them who what? Love God, and I what? Called according to his purpose. What do you say to that? I want to encourage this church tonight. Get a biblical viewpoint, and when you see these things happening, you won't be dismayed. You will be excited, and you'll have something to say about everything that's happening because you already know about these other things. What things? Whom he did foreknow. Those whom he called. All things work together for good. But it's not just verse 28. How many know it's the rest of chapter 8, huh? What does chapter 8 say? It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the what? Spirit. What do you say to that? See? But it's not just chapter 8. How many know where we're going? Back to chapter (laughs) 7. But it's not just chapter 7. It's chapter 6 and chapter 5 and chapter 4. And chapter, see, the, these things, I think it would be good for us to find out what these things are that we've got to have something to say about. How, sometimes people say, oh, come on, shout. Okay, shout. Woohoo! What are we shouting for? You ever wonder that? 
What, what are we shouting for? That's what I want to answer. I want to answer the question, what are you shouting for? When you're up here playing, when you're down there singing, when your hands are up in the air, what are you shouting about? What are the things you're talking about? Oh, friend, one of the things I'm talking about is Romans chapter 8, chapter 7, chapter 6, chapter 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1. Say, oh, Pastor Jerry, it's going to be a long night. Are you going to go through this whole thing? Yes, I am. But I'm going to do a lickety split. But as fast as I fell out of that plane, I'll do my best. But let me just just let you know what these things are you're supposed to be shouting about. Romans chapter 1 says the Gentiles are guilty. Did you know that? Romans chapter 1 says the Gentiles are guilty. And all the Jews said amen. It's true. Romans chapter 1. The Gentiles are guilty. And all the Jews went, yes. And Paul says, hold on. Huh? Romans chapter 2. He says, but so are the Jews. What? Yes. The Jews are guilty too. That's what Romans chapter 2 says. Who are you, oh man? You're not excused from all of this. You're judging people, and you're doing the exact same things that they're doing. Romans chapter 1 says the Gentiles are guilty. Romans chapter 2 says the Jews are guilty too. Romans chapter 3 says we're all guilty. Romans chapter 3 says we're all guilty. How do you know? Romans 3, 23. I'm going to the verse. For all have sin and come short of the glory of... See? See? Romans 1, Gentiles are guilty. Jews said... Amen. Romans chapter 2, wait a minute, the Jews are guilty. The Jews didn't say amen to that. But the Gentiles probably did. In chapter 3, Paul says, hold it, there's a 14 count indictment in the book of Romans chapter 3 that lets us know, and he says this, he says, therefore, none of us will be justified by the deeds of the law, and the whole world is guilty before God. But Romans chapter 3 not only says everybody's guilty, it also says, therefore, if nobody can be justified by the deeds of the law, then what's it going to take? It's going to take faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, being justified freely by His grace. In other words, Romans chapter 3 says, even though the Gentiles are guilty, the Jews are guilty, and we're all guilty, there is hope. There is hope. And the hope is, therefore, being justified by faith. We have what? Peace with God? Romans 3 says, it's by faith that you're justified. What do you say to that? Romans chapter 4 He says this, Abraham and David were justified by faith. How many know the Jews? That's their two favorite boys. I I like Abraham. Can you hear the Jews? I like Abraham. And David, he's my man. And Paul picks the two favorite joy boys of the Jews. He he, he picks Abraham and David. And here's what he says about Abraham. Hey! He says, Abraham can't glory in anything of his own doing. Abraham was justified by faith. Can you hear the Jews? Oh, remember the Pharisees? They said, Abraham is our father. Remember that? And Jesus said, hey, if Abraham was your father, you'd do the works of Abraham. He says, you're not, Abraham's not your father. He says, you are of your father, the devil. Try saying that in church. I just did. (laughs) He said, he said, you guys doing all right? All right. He says, he says, you're of your father, the devil. Now, 
Here Paul uses Abraham and David to prove what? He says Abraham was justified by faith and David said the exact same thing. So in the Old Testament, let me tell you something, boys. He says Abraham knows it was by faith. David knows it was by faith. Therefore, it's by faith for everybody else in the world. Let me tell you, a Jew has to get saved the same way a Gentile does. You've got to get saved. I've got to get saved all the same way. Aren't you glad there's not 62 ways to heaven? Aren't you glad there's not 75? Aren't you glad? Friend, let me tell you something. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I am saved by faith in His precious blood. Hallelujah. Glory to God. What do you say to that? Now, chapter 5. He says, therefore. Remember that one? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. Woo. Hey, what do you say to that? He says, not only do we have peace with God, but we have access into the throne room of God through Jesus Christ who died for you, man. Do you realize who you are here? You're talking about a celebration of a perfect seven anniversary. We're talking about new beginnings. We're talking about a new biblical perspective in in an unbiblical world. And I can tell you, God, please give it to me. Give it to me so that when I see all this happening, I know who I am. And I know whose I am. And I know who's coming back. And I know everything is put in proper perspective. So I can be a tall building in a dark world. So we can be a tall church giving others perspective in a dark world. People were convicted just when Jesus walked in the door. They got a new perspective when he showed up. Man, when he stepped his foot on the shore of the Gadarenes, all of a sudden the demons went nuts. My question is, do they go nuts when we walk in? How tall of a building are you, man? How much perspective do you bring to this world? Does the world look at us and say, you're no different than us, you just sing different? It's not just walking and talking, it's both. I can tell you guys, therefore being justified by faith, I have peace with God. I'm not afraid to die anymore. I've made my peace with God. Who are you? Have you made your peace with God? I'm not afraid to die. I'm a little concerned about how I might die, but I'm not afraid to die. I don't want to be shot with a machine gun, but I can tell you this. If they come and nail me, if they come and stab me, say, well, I ain't going to happen in the United States. You don't know what's going to happen here. And we better be a church that is a tall building. And when they come around, they have a perspective of who God is, a perspective of the standard of the word of God. They don't have to guess what we are. They know what we are. I just want to tell this church tonight, do you know who you are? And if you do, what do you say to that? Hallelujah. Glory. I feel that in my soul. It's time for us to be what he's called us to be. Stop talking. Either possess it or stop professing it. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We have access. And he says, not only that, he says, but we glory in tribulations. What? I talked to a lot of Christians, they ain't glorying in nothing like that. They're whining and crying. They ain't going to go to church no more. See if I tithe again. What a bunch of babies. 
You know, the church is filled with a bunch of babies. You want to know why that is? Because sometimes the preachers aren't standing behind the pulpit giving them a biblical perspective. And they're giving them what they want to hear. Let me tell you something. My Bible says God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all I could ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church. Oh, man. We've got peace with God. We've got access to glory and tribulations. What do you say to that? Not only that, but the end of, at the end of chapter 5, here's what he says. He says, where sin abounds. How many, how many? Ooh, grace did what? Much more abound. And that Greek word there, did much more abound. Grace did much more abound. And you can put this on because that's in the word. And then some. I love that. Grace did much more abound. And then some. How many have ever needed the then some? Have you ever needed the then some? It says, where sin abounded, glory to God, grace did much more abound. We've come from, we've come from the Gentiles are guilty, and the Jews said amen. The Jews are guilty, and the Gentiles said amen. And the whole world is guilty, and we need a Savior. And he came to justify us freely by his grace. And they got saved in the Old Testament the same way they're going to get saved in the New Testament. And therefore, we have peace with God. We have access. And now what? We can joy in tribulations. And now what? Friend, where sin abounds. Grace did much more abound. And then some. Oh, man. And then some. I just like doing that. Can I do it again? And then some. Friend, there's a then some for you. There's a then some for you. It says, where sin reigned to death. Now, that word reign means established its throne. Where sin established its throne unto death, now grace has established its throne unto life. Now, is that cool stuff? Did you know what that means? That means, I know you do, that means that where sin once ruled the roost, now grace is in charge. Where sin reigned unto death, now grace reigns. I am no longer under sin. The sin, I am no longer under that. What am I under? I'm under grace. Do you know who you are? What do you say to that? Friends, you can't walk down both sides of the street at the same time. You cannot walk down the side, both sides of the street at the same time. Can you imagine how painful that would be? I've seen cheerleaders do the splits, but I'll tell you right now, that would be painful. You know why? You can't do it. It's impossible, sister. You cannot be under the reign of sin and under the reign of grace at the same time. Oh, man, I feel better about that already. You see, you see, sin will call you back over from, from Grace Boulevard to try to get you back over to Sin Avenue. But, friend, you sold your house on Sin Avenue. Remember when you sold that house the day you got saved? And now you're living in a different neighborhood, right? Oh, you moved from that side. Now you're living somewhere else. You're living on Grace Avenue. Friend, let me tell you something. You can't, you can't walk down Sin Street and Grace Street at the same time. You're either saved or you're not. I asked you today, you're, are you saved or are you not? Are you saved or are you not? If you're saved, what do you got to say about it? Do I get excited or what? I promised myself I wasn't going to do that. But I can tell you that I feel it in my soul today. We've got to understand as Christian believers, if we're going to have a new beginning, number eight, we're going to have to understand we are either under the reign of sin or under the reign of grace. You can't walk down both at the same time. In fact, when you sell a house, 
You move to another neighborhood, what do you do? Jump in the car and go find out what they did to the place you sold. Have you ever driven around the neighborhood? Oh, I want to see what they did to the place. Don't do that. But what do you do? Go to the neighborhood. Oh, man. Oh, they put an in-ground pool in the backyard. Oh, we didn't do that. I got a new front porch. They stuck a jacuzzi out there. Oh, man. Oh. Hey, you ain't missing nothing. You ain't missing nothing. Because you see, they enjoy the pleasures of sin just for a season. Friend, you don't have to worry. You see, you are now belonging to a different master, a different husband. You are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price. You are no longer under the reign of sin, but under the reign of grace. Hallelujah. And you can't walk down both sides of the street at the same time. That should liberate you. Unless you're not saved. We got on that pause. Oh, I know what you're thinking. Chapter 6 and chapter 7 are parenthetical. He says, I know what you're thinking. Shall we sin that grace may... Everybody know this? Shall we sin that grace may abound? What's the answer to that? God forbid, right? So he's pausing. I know what you're thinking. Now they were thinking this. Shall we sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, what? Are you guys lost it? He says, don't you know that as many of us as were, as, as were uh, baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? He says, you have to remember this. Chapter 6, you have a new master. That's what chapter 6 says. Chapter 6 says, you've got a new master. So you don't sin that grace may abound. No, you've got a new master. He says in chapter 6, don't you know that whoever you yield your instruments as servants to obey, those servants you are to whom you obey? But he says, but you have obeyed that doctrine from the heart right now. And you are now belonging to somebody else. I want to tell you something. You don't belong to yourself anymore. Did you know that? Because you got saved, you belong to Jesus. So you have a new master. That's why you don't continue in sin that grace may abound. Why? Because you have a new master. That's what chapter 6 tells you. Chapter 7 says, let me tell you another way. Let me put it a different way. You have a new husband. Now that's putting it straight. Did you know that chapter 7 says you have a new husband? It's the same thing. He's just using a different illustration. In chapter 7 he says, you have a new husband. That's why you don't sin that grace may abound. Why? Because you have a new master and you have a new husband. Do you get it? So, so, so what, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what he means. He says in chapter 7, he says, don't you know that if a guy and a girl is married and they don't like the relationship, they can't get divorced. Because, you know, God hates divorce. Isn't that right? Okay. It's not, a, it's not a chapter about marriage. He's using it as an illustration to show you a biblical truth about your salvation. And what he says is this. He says, the only way that marriage can be broken is if one of the people dies. Correct? Then if a person dies, then you can be married to another. Isn't that what he says? Yeah. Now, now what he says is this. He says, you, brethren, are going to be married to somebody else. His name is Jesus. Now, the truth of the matter is, the law stands beside you like a husband before you're saved. Hi. There he is. The Bible says that the law, which is your husband before you're saved, the law is just, righteous, pure, and holy. True? True. Romans tells us that. So you know that the law is good. Paul said, if it wasn't for the law, I wouldn't know what sin is. What does the law do? It tells the wife how to live. All right, wife, do this. I can't. That's right. Do that. Do that. How many know what I'm talking about? The law says, you, thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. And guess what the wife does? The wife says, I can't. I can't. I can't. Give me some slack here. And the law says, I can't give you slack because I'm righteous, just, pure, and holy. So then the wife says, 
I don't like this marriage. <laughs> I think I want out. And the law says, we ain't getting divorced. And you say, well, I know we ain't, but we got a problem. And the law says, what's the problem? And you say, one of us has got to go. <laughs> Truth of the matter is, one of them's got to die. But the problem is, the law says, I ain't dying. I'm righteous, just pure and holy. You got a point there. But you, on the other hand, you can't die. Because if you die, you go straight to hell, sir. Because you can't die for your own sin. Because you can't keep the law. You're headed for hell. For a Christless grave. So you can't die, and the law can't die. It's righteous, just, pure, and holy. But you can't die because you go straight to hell. We got a problem here. Oh, thank God. Jesus came. And Jesus says, you know what, Jer? You can't fulfill the law. But I got news for you. I did. I did. I did. I did. I fulfilled every jot and tittle of that law. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come, and I'm going to die in your place. And he dies in my place. And he snaps the marriage bond between me and the law. And now I'm free. Glory to God, I'm free. I am so free. But the truth is, I'm not free to do what I please. Jesus says, now I'll be your husband. Now I have a new husband. And the new husband is, what's his name? Jesus. And now Jesus says, now I am married to you and you are married to me. And that does not mean he doesn't tell you how to live. How many know he still tells you how to live? But you know what the law didn't do? The law couldn't help you fulfill it. But Jesus, when he marries you, he still tells you how to live. But he gives you the power to fulfill what he asks you to do. Hallelujah. Through the spirit of almighty God. That's Romans 7. Now you're married to him. You're not bound by works and deeds of the law. No, you're bound by something greater. Greater? Yeah. Love. Did you know that love binds us greater than the law? I got a ticket Monday speeding. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell my mother. My name's probably going to be in the paper. But I got a ticket. I broke the law. I paid the fine. It's done. I don't have any feeling for those people. I paid the fine. I'm off the hook. But you know what it is about my dad and my mom? One thing I don't want to do to my mom and my dad is hurt them. You know why? Because I love them. Jesus died for you. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for you. You love him, don't you? That's why you don't want to sin, because you don't want to sin against love. You are bound by love. And now when you do sin, it burns in your heart. You are convicted down to your socks. How many know that's the truth? Romans chapter 7 says, You have a new husband. But thanks be to God. Romans chapter 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. What do you say to that? He goes on and he says, in Romans chapter 8, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. What do you say to that? He goes on in Romans chapter 8 verse 18. He says, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in who? In us. 
You see the progression? We've gone from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 8, and we are new creatures in Christ. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I have a new master. I have a new husband. And in Christ, I am set free, free to love him, free to do what he asked me to do. And when he asks me to do something, he doesn't beat me over the head. He gives me the power to do it. I like this husband. I love you, Lord. Help me to please you with all of my heart. And there is therefore now no condemnation. And now by his spirit, I pray in tongues. The Bible says his spirit, spirit prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. I've got a new language, not just a new master and a new husband. I've got a new language and I've got a power from on high that will help me do and help me be and help me become because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And now what? All things work together for good. All things. How many things are all things? All things work together for good to them who are what? Loving God and called according to his purpose. And guess what? We are being conformed to the image of his dear son. And one day he'll glorify us. Now to verse 31. What shall we then say to all that? Is that cool or what? I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I, I, this is just as fresh in my heart as the day I discovered this. I can tell you this. What shall we then say? Anniversary year number seven. Looking forward to anniversary number eight, should Jesus tarry. And we're talking about new beginnings. We're talking about old things pass away. All things become new. We're talking about a divine biblical viewpoint in an unbiblical world. I now have to say something to this. And guess what it comes to me? Verse 31 says, now he says, what shall we then say to these things? I'll tell you what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. I have now a new perspective on life. I've got a new perspective on life. You know why? Because Jesus said, I am a sinner. Jesus said, I need salvation. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Jesus came into my heart. He came into my soul. Jesus made me glad I used to be sad. Jesus filled me with the Holy Ghost. Jesus says there's no condemnation. Jesus says where sin abounds, grace did much more abound. And now Jesus says, what do you say to that? I say, hallelujah. Now I have a new perspective on life. Oh, what's your perspective, Jerry? Glad you asked. Verse 31 says, what shall we then say to these things? Number one, perspective. If God be for us, who can be against us? Isn't that cool? There's your new perspective. You know what Christians need? Christians need to be able to stand up and say, if God is for us, you tell me who's against me. Do you know the government might, might be against us someday? Did you know that? Did you know that they might be against your pastor standing up and preaching against sin? But I can tell you this. If God is for him, you, you, you tell me who's going to be against him. You put God in the picture and you are a majority. I don't care what the minority says. God in the picture is a winner. I'm saying if God is for us, who can be against? That's a new perspective. That's a new outlook. You know, some people might be sitting here tonight saying, you know, there are some people against me, and they might be. But you know what? If you know who you are, 
1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, chapter 8, verse 29, 30, then if that's the case with you, why are we so glum? Why are we so down? Why are we not joyful? Friend, you've got the God of the universe on your side. He is not only on your side, he's living in you. And if he's in you, then greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Nothing can come against you in the name of Jesus. Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you. Satan, the blood of Jesus, is against you. Man, man, I got a new perspective. Now I don't have to whine. I don't have to say, nobody cares about me. I got news for you. It really doesn't matter. It's not what people think about you that matters. It's what he thinks about you. I'd rather have the smile of God's approval and the frowns of men than to have the smile of men's approval and the frowns of God. You choose. Yeah, but Jerry, we're not going to invite you to any reindeer games anymore. So, what do you want me to do about it? I cannot deny my perspective. I cannot deny my standard. I cannot deny the truth. I cannot deny who he is. And there's going to come a day, friends, when we're going to have to make a stand. And that day is now. That day is now. If God is for us, who can be against us? That's, that's, that's one thing. Remember Elisha and his servant? They were surrounded by the enemy. Remember that? Yeah. And, and Elisha said, hey, buddy. His servant said, man, we're doomed. We're doomed. We're going down. They're going to get us. The church is going to lose its tax-exempt status. <laughs> we're not going to be able to text message anybody about the Bible anymore. Oh, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? They, could take, they took prayer out of the schools. Oh, what are you going to do? They haven't taken out of the church yet. Why don't we start praying there? Might not be a bad idea. Might get something done. Stop whining about the fact they took prayer out of school and start getting on your knees in the church and pray for what God would have a miracle happen in your own life to get you on your knees more than you've ever been before. And let you realize that if God is for you, who can be against you? But number two, look at what it says. What do you say to this thing? I got a new perspective. Look at what it says. Verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Do you know what I'm saying to all the things I've just talked about? Jesus Christ will give me all things. What do you mean all things? Not all things you want. Sorry, honey. It's not all things you want. How many know it's all things you need? What that means is you're going to get to the place and you should be at the place where you see that everything you have, your joy, your peace, your perspective, your whole life, your Christianity, everything you have, everything you need, everything you will ever hope to need is found in him, in him. If, if you need counseling, he's the greatest counselor. He can do in five minutes at an altar of prayer what no counselor could do for you in ten years. You don't believe it? If you don't believe it, then there's no reason for me being here. But I can tell you this. I believe it, and that's why I'm here. I believe that God's presence can knock down Dagon without one shot being fired. Because his presence is enough to clean it up and wipe it out. Friend, what do you say to these things? He'll give us all things. Number three, verse 33. What are you going to say to this? You guys got something to say. What are you going to say? Well, number one, I'm going to say, if God's for me, who can be against me? That'll make you shout. Some of you are sitting here today, and and like I said earlier, people are against you. You need to shout this. You need to start saying, who am I? You need to come up to this altar tonight. Stand up here. Lift your hands in the air. Why do I got to come to the altar? Oh, would we we quit that? You know, why do I got to go to church? Why do I got to read my Bible? Why, 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 why? Because God said so. How's that? 
In fact, I believe in altar calls, if for no other reason, because the devil doesn't. And what makes him mad, I want to do more of. I, think we have, I happen to think we need more altar calls, not less. Because it's at an old altar of prayer that this boy was baptized in the Holy Ghost at the age of 12. What shall we then say to these things? Verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Isn't that great? What are you going to say to all this? Hey, friend, nobody can lay anything to the charge of the elect of God. Oh, you know what the Bible says? The devil is an accuser of the brethren. How many of the devil trying to tell you you're not saved? Anybody ever had that happen to you? I want to tell you because of everything we've said in Romans chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, chapter 8, verse 28, 29, 30, 31, everything we have said can tell you this right here. Since Jesus died for you, he is the one who saved you and redeemed you and nobody can lay anything to the charge of God's elect because it is God who justifies. You read that? It's God who justifies. That gives me hope. My mom didn't justify me. Sorry, but you didn't justify me. Therefore, you can't charge me. You can't accuse me. You can't tell me I'm not saved. But I can tell you this. He died for me. He lives in my heart. And that's it. I'm saved. Nothing. Nothing. No one. No one can lay anything to charge of God's elect. Oh, Lord. Look at the next one. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? How many have ever had anybody try to condemn you? Oh, you don't want to raise your hand? Well, I'll raise mine. I've had people try to condemn me. Try to find fault with me. He says, who is he that condemneth? Who is he? In other words, what do you have to say to all these things? Here's what I can say. If God is for me, who can be against me? The answer is nobody. How shall he not freely give me all things? He won't. He will give me all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? The answer is nobody. The next question is, who is he that condemneth? Mm, Nobody. It sounds pretty good to me. I think I got a reason to shout tonight. I think you have a reason, even if you don't ever sing another song, you've got a reason to shout. You've got a reason to sing a song. You've got a reason to give him praise. Friend, who is he that can condemn you? The answer is nobody. That doesn't mean they won't try. When I stand before God, there's going to be a list, probably as long as from here to the moon and back 60 times, of all the things that Jerry Hunt has ever done that's rotten. And I'll be standing before God, and that devil will try to be there to show God that whole list of my life. And I can tell you this, it'll be true what he says about me. It'll be everything will be true and then some. It'll be true and then some. But you see, Jesus will be there. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus will be there. You know, you're going to need him. (laughs) You're going to need him. You need him now. You're going to need him tomorrow. You're going to need him on the day you stand before God. Young people, you're going to need him then as much as you need him now. Jesus will be there. And Jesus will say, you know what? I see that record. And it might be true, all that there about Jer. But there was a day on the earth when he surrendered his life at an altar of prayer. And he asked me to come into his life and save him from all his sins. So therefore, you just take my record and you cover his up with mine. And I want you to know it says paid in full. Not guilty. And I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Who is there that can condemn? The answer is nobody. Because it is Christ who died. And more than that, he rose from the dead. What do you say to that? Come on. Woohoo! I got something to say. 
What do you say to that? Here's what I say. If God is for me, who can be against me? What am I going to start saying that? What am I going to start saying? He'll give me everything I need. I don't have to go anywhere else and get it. And I'm sorry to say this, but I don't have to go in the enemy's camp and get it either. Because my Bible tells me that he will restore all the years that the locust hath eaten. If I want anything back, I'm going to him. I'm going to God. I'm going to Jesus. Anything the devil touches is stinking and perverted. I'm going back to God, and he will give me back what he knows I need in his name. He gave back Job double what he ever had. And Job never asked for it. Never asked for it. Oh, now look. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God or Christ? What do you say in all this? Well, here's what I'm going to say. Nothing can separate me from his love. You see the progression? You've got a progression here. You've got an order to this. Number one, if God be for us, who can be against us? That leads us to say, he'll give me everything I need. That leads me to say, nobody can charge me. That leads me to say, nobody can condemn me. That leads me to say, what can, who can separate me from the love of God? The answer is, nobody and Nothing. Shall tribulation? No. Distress? Uh Uh-uh. Persecution? Mm Mm-mm. Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? Oh, no. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Guess what, friends? Nothing can separate you from his love. I have a new perspective on tribulations. I've got a new perspective on trials. I've got a new perspective on suffering. I've got a new perspective on the world around me. Friend, nothing can separate me from the love of God. They can take your house. They can take your car. They can take my liberty to preach in public. But they can't take away the joy of the Lord that's on the inside. That gives me strength on the outside. Nothing is going to separate me from the love of God. Are you with me? Are you with me? Is anybody with me? Are you with me in this place? Are you been separated from the love of God? Friend, nothing can separate you from the love of God if you know who you are. Oh, yes. And now what? Verse 37. Nay. It's like a horse. Nay. Nay. I said nay. People say yay. He goes nay. It's like Paul's going, what can separate from God? This, 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 this. I got a new perspective. I've got a new perspective on who's against me. I've got a new perspective on who's for me. I've got a new perspective on who gives me everything I need. I've got a new perspective on people who try to charge me and condemn me. I've got a new perspective on suffering and trial and persecution and nakedness and peril and sword. I've got a new perspective. What's that? Uh, All these things. In all these things. Nakedness, peril, sword, tribulation, distress. We are more than conquerors. What do you say to these things? We are more. Do you see where we've come from? We've come from, we're all sinners in chapter 3, to now, 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 we are more than conquerors through him. Notice it's always through Jesus who loved us. What do you say to these things? Here's what I got to say. I am more than a conqueror. I want to say to the devil, deal with it. Deal with it. Deal with it. I am more than a conqueror. When I was a teenager, my brothers and I, I have four brothers, Larry, Gary, Terry, Harry, and I'm Jerry. That's the truth. I've told you that before. I have to remind myself of that every once in a while. (laughs) And uh, when I was about 15 years old, George, what was his name? Uh, Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. Anybody remember those two fighters? They fought in Manila. 
in the set. They called it the Thriller in Manila. I just like the title. <laughs> and, so, and so my brothers and I, it wasn't on TV, couldn't watch it on TV. So we got around that little radio. This has been 1970-something. We got around the radio, and we watched the Thriller in Manila. And I don't know who won. I like to think Joe Fraser won because he was my favorite. And since he was my favorite, favorite, I say he must have won. So let's just pretend Joe won. Joe wins the fight, and he gets this big, fat, whopping check. How many know when you lose, you get a big check? Sometimes a losing check is not too far off from the winning check. Imagine this guy getting paid. Oh, I don't know what he got paid. But let's say he got a million bucks. They write the check out, Joe Fraser, a million bucks. He comes home from Manila, and I've been there a few times. He comes home from Manila, and he walks in the house, and he says, Honey lamb, through the good eye that he can see out of. Hi, baby. I won. Here is the check for $1 million. And she says, thank you. And she folds it up and sticks it in her purse. And she becomes more than a conqueror. He conquered. He got the black eye. He's got the bruises. He's got it all. But she got the check. And she starts spending the jack. And she didn't have to go through it. But she enjoys the benefit of it. I want to tell you something. Does it hit home to you? I am more than a conqueror through him. Friends, I didn't die on the cross. But in Jesus I did. In other words, when he died, I died. When he rose, I rose. And he went through it all for me. But I enjoy the benefits of salvation by grace. I enjoy the benefits of being saved by the blood of the Lamb. What do you say to that? Does anybody have anything to say if God is for me who can be against me you've been having people against you it's time for you to shout now it's time for you to say God is on my side stop your whining stop your complaining and get on your knees and praise him amen 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 would you stand with me tonight and praise him how about just doing it just go ahead hallelujah you want me to do it for you Friends, I give you God the praise tonight. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.